following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bibles or electronic device that has a Bible on it. Uh, We are in the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, and we are in the fifth chapter of Deuteronomy. And if this is your first Sunday here and you're thinking to yourself, five chapters in, what I miss, you go to communitygospelchurch.com, you click the message section, and it's all right there for you. You can get caught up. Um, We've been studying the book of Deuteronomy, and as we study the book of Deuteronomy, we've been talking about our word of the year as a congregation, and that word is? Obedience. Yeah, somebody listened. That's good to know. Um, Obedience. The whole entire book of Deuteronomy is about obedience and obeying the Lord and His commands and what He has in store for us. And as we obey the Lord, we find uh, peace, we find joy, and we find lots of things uh, that God has in in store for us. Uh, Deuteronomy is essentially just a retelling of God's law. Uh, There's a generation that is going to pass away because they have been wandering around in the wilderness in the book of Exodus for 40 years, and a new generation is about to come up. And as that new generation is about to come up, what we learn from the text is they need to be retold the laws, and they need to recommit themselves to the Lord. The same is true for us today in the society that we live in. We sometimes forget that there is a generation that is coming up, and our responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ is to impress the truths of Scripture on the hearts of the young. But also what we realize when we study Deuteronomy is that more is caught than taught. And sometimes there's bad examples that we have set as parents. And sometimes there's good godly examples that we have set as parents. And so the evaluation here as we continue to study the book of Deuteronomy is, how are we doing? And not only setting an example for the gospel of Jesus Christ, but impressing that gospel on the people who are around us, whether they're young or old. When I was studying Deuteronomy chapter 5, I came across a story and I thought it was interesting The story is told about a man who needed an underground water tank that was built. He knew exactly, precisely how he wanted that tank to be built. And so what he did is he essentially hired a person to come and to do it. And he gave all the instructions to this local builder on how he wanted the tank to be positioned. He was experienced in knowing how those things worked. He'd done all his research and he gave him the blueprint and the plans. A few days passed and he goes to inspect the project that was taking place. And the man is annoyed because he realized that the builder had failed to follow his instructions. Parents, you ever been in that boat when you've given your kids instructions and they fail to follow those instructions, right? And you pray for the wrath of God to come down upon your children. (laughs) But what happened is the guy that he had hired had essentially changed the plan. And as he changed the plan, he changed the effect of the plan too as well. And so he pressed him a little bit, and the man gave these excuses, and he tried to justify the reason why he did what he did. The man watched the builder redo his work, and as he watched his build, this builder redo the work, his frustration started to diminish a little bit because he thought to himself, how many times have I needed to redo something in my life because I failed to obey? 
We take that a step further and we would ask, how many times do I need a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance because of the fact that I've failed to obey? And if you want a good example of failure to obey, you just go into the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy and you realize that the Israelites are experts at disobedience. (laughs) And we would say we're kind of in that boat too as well. We often go our own way when we know we should obey the Lord. And in today's passages, if you look at chapter 5, verse 32, it specifically says, be careful to do what the Lord your God has instructed you to do. Walk in obedience in all that God has commanded you. Church, if there was a prayer that I had for you and for me and for our community of believers, it would be just that, that you would be careful to do what God has commanded you to do. That you would be mindful of how you walk in this world, how you present yourself to people, what you say with your mouth. That you would walk in obedience to all that God has commanded you. And the answer is, well, what has God commanded me to do? And we're going to answer that question today. In the first five verses, we realize that there is a call here, but that call comes from our responsibility towards God and others. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's going to partner with a passage that is in Exodus chapter 20. And the main idea for today is that our responsibility as believers, we live in a relationship to God. Yes, we have this vertical relationship, but we also have a horizontal relationship too as well in regards to what God calls and commands us to do. In the first five verses of Deuteronomy, the call that Moses gives the people is the same call that God gives all of us, and that is a command to obey. Now, Israel is bound to a covenant they agreed upon way back in Exodus chapter 24. In those first eight verses, there was a promise that was made. God gave a promise. The people were supposed to hold up their end of the deal. But in verse 2 of chapter 5 in Deuteronomy, it says that the covenant was made with a previous generation in Horeb who perished or would perish in the wilderness. So the current generation, as we said, about to enter the promised land is the next generation. And I start to think about this in our own life, right? I start to think about some of us who, you know, we really want to see Jesus come back and we're excited about Jesus come back, but we often fail to think about the fact that maybe the next generation will see Jesus come back. And we'll die here in this place. We'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord because of our relationship of faith and trust in Christ. But there's sometimes that maybe we need to wrap our mind around that, that our future generation will see the coming of Christ. And our job is to pave that way like Moses does here in the text. And Moses essentially says, you're going to go into this promised land and you need to not only understand what God has said, but you need to embrace what God has said. It's not just enough that you know what God has said. You need to embrace this. You need to make this your own. You need to understand that this is how it goes well with you. The words in verse 2, make it a covenant, are literally cut a covenant. Cutting is associated with covenant because covenants are always sealed with a sacrifice like cutting of a sacrifice. So God's promises in the Old Testament and New Testament are all sealed with a cutting of a sacrifice for our good. Moses says in verse 3, the Lord didn't make this covenant with our fathers, but with us to drive home the point that this is your covenant. This is your promise. This is from God. He's alive and he is to be obeyed. 
Now, before he tells the people exactly what to obey, he says why you should obey the Lord, which is what we all ask. Why should I obey God? Why should I do what God wants me to do? Well, as we saw last week, the Lord does many things to prove why he should be worshipped. And the Lord demonstrated his devotion to the people. Look at verse 4. It says, the Lord has talked with you face to face. That's a Hebrew figure of speech, meaning there was intimate, free communication. It wasn't literal face to face. Deuteronomy chapter 4, if you remember from last week, verse 12, specifically says that while Israel saw no form from God, they didn't hear They did indeed hear his voice. In other words, they had remarkable communication with God. So why not obey him? If God has revealed himself to us, why not obey him? If God has revealed himself to us, church, through the person of Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross for our sins, raising from the dead, ascending to the right hand of God, why would you not worship that God? Your calendars are dated by him. You see visible signs of him in your everyday life, whether that's good seasons of life or hard seasons of life. We know that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Worship him because he has manifested himself to you. And that's why God wanted to be in relationship with Israel. Now, the word face-to-face is interesting. You could underline that. In Exodus 33, verse 11, it's the exact same figure of speech. And it means that Moses had free, unhindered communication with the Lord. Now, we know that Moses really is a kind of type or a pointing to Jesus in the Old Testament. And unfortunately, Israel, being cowards, couldn't handle that free communication with God. So they asked Moses to speak to God on their behalf. I cannot help but notice the parallels there with the current church. That we look, if Moses is kind of a type of Christ, and by I mean that he points to Christ in the Old Testament, we often look at it and we say, I don't know how to speak to God, this great, loving, powerful God. There's sometimes where I'm afraid of him. Jesus says, you don't have to be afraid. You can come to him on my behalf. So we speak to God, the Father, based off of the fact we can come to him in a very awe and inspiring way because of what Christ has done on the cross. So those of us who are living on the side of grace and not law realize that what Moses is trying to do in these first five verses is get Israel's attention. And they says this is how important obedience is. When you hear the word of God, you learn it, you put it into practice, and do, James chapter 1, verse 22, what it says. Because there you will find a life of obedience. Okay, so what am I supposed to obey? What does that look like? What am I supposed to obey? How, are, are, there, are there specifics? Yeah, absolutely. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6 is the Ten Commandments. And all of the law hinges off of these Ten Commandments. We look at these Old Testament Ten Commandments and we think they're old, and so they can't be good. I will tell you today, and all of you older people should affirm this, sometimes an old thing is a good thing. Amen? Amen. <laughs> We keep talking about obedience, but what are we to be obedient as believers to? If I have pledged my faith, put my trust in Jesus Christ, have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, then enter in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, or the Decalogue in Greek, has two parts to it. You should love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
That's the first four commandments. You should love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second six commandments. You should print out the Ten Commandments and put them on your bathroom mirror so that you see them every single day. They are not old to be forgotten. They are old to be remembered. First one, you shall have no other gods before me. Worshiping false gods was huge back in the Old Testament. It was huge in the New Testament. It's still huge today. To worship a false god means that you worship anything that rivals the true God. Let me give you a way to think about what you worship. It's the first thing that you think about when you get up in the morning. It's the last thing you think about when you go to bed. That's what you worship. Our idols are the things that are on the forefront of our minds that we fail to give over to the Lord. We look at this and we realize that God is unique. And anything that overlooks the uniqueness of God is an idol. In Hebrew, no other idols breaks down no other idols. And when we look at no other idols, we realize that the people could be on guard against other idols by making sure they constantly relied on the word of God. Thank the Lord, you have the entire word of God. This is given to you so that you will know what takes precedence over your relationship with God and his greatness. Let me give it to you this way. If you are not completely saturated in God's book, then you are submersed in Satan's world. We constantly run to God's word because it shows us the idols we have in our life and calls us to destroy those idols and to worship God alone. No other gods. How do I love the Lord? No other gods. Two is an extension of one. You should also have no other idols. Now, the word idol is kind of interesting here. If you want to circle that word idol, it means to carve, like something out of wood or stone. The command is all about worshiping in a proper way. Your worship was to be spiritual. It was not to be materialistic. Now, if you look at verse 4, this is really interesting. It talks about making an idol of God like something in the sky, which is the stars, or the earth, which is the animals, or in the waters below, which would have been the sea life. And all of that was forbidden as God is a jealous God. That's Joshua chapter 24. Now, the interesting thing is, we would look at this and we would say, okay, materialistic idols, that makes sense. Like, I can understand that. You know, like, I'm going to look at my husband or my wife and tell them exactly what they worship today after church, right? That's exactly what we do. We point at other people and not ourselves. And as we look to those people, we understand that those are idols. But idols can also include, but are not limited to, your pride. Idols can be your self-centeredness. Idols can be when you're greedy. Idols can be gluttony or love for possessions. It can be anything that is ultimately in rebellion to God, whether it is materialistic or not materialistic. So you should... Have no other gods, no idols, Verse or the third one in verse 11. You should not take the Lord's name in vain. His name should be honored. The Israelites weren't to use his name in a flippant or insincere purpose. Now, church, there's three ways that we take the Lord's name in vain, and I want to talk to you, hopefully in a very loving way, and tell you some of the ways that we do this in our society just to be cautious about this because our testimony is always on the line. The first way that we take the Lord's name in vain is profanity. 
Obviously, everybody knows, like, you say the Lord's name in vain, you blaspheme or curse him. But can we take this a step farther as believers? The same is true when you say, oh, my gosh. The same is true when you say, sheesh. We often look at the line and we want to know how close we can come to the line instead of how far away we should back away from the line. Teenagers do this all the time. How far can I go? How far, how close can I get to sin and not sin? And that's, that's interesting because what you're saying is, how much disobedience can I have without it being disobedience? And Paul tells us in the New Testament that you should run away from those things. It is just as damaging sometimes to hear, oh my gosh, because it's so close to the other thing that we need to remove that from our language as well. You can also say it silly ways. Uh, you can use God's name in a stupid way. We do that all the time, right? I love just praise the Lord, right? And you don't mean it. It's something that's not from the heart. The third one, though, is really kind of a kicker, and this one is hard for me. You can take the Lord's name in vain in profanity and silliness, but also in the hypocrisy of your life is taking the Lord's name in vain. When you claim to have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, but you act disgracefully to him, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. You're saying you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but your life doesn't look that way. You look polished on the outside, but inside the cup is not good. We show God reverence by speaking of him in respectful, honoring ways, but we also show God reverence and his name by living a life that would be honoring to him. And when you make a mistake, just say you're sorry and move on. Ask for forgiveness and grace. Now, the fourth thing, we were joking about this this morning in our morning meeting with the team, about remembering the Sabbath. And we're going to have an hour and a half discussion after church in the parking lot about this, of whether or not the Sabbath is still in effect or not. It's a whole other sermon for another day. But the Israelites, I want to look at this. The Israelites were to remember or to recall a day of solemn worship of God every single week. In the Old Testament, this was Saturday. Saturday was reserved. It is a holy day of the week where the people were to worship God from sunup to sundown. In the New Testament, many Jews who came to know Jesus did the exact same thing, but they did on Sunday instead of Saturday because the Lord rose from the dead on Sunday. It kind of carried on in regards to tradition where people would continue to do this. There should be one day that is separate from the other six, and we get that from creation, right? In Genesis chapter 2, God rested from his work. Now, what's amazing to me is the Sabbath was not meant to be slothful. It was not one where we sat down and binge-watched all the Netflix episodes that we didn't get to in the week. It was not to be a day where we just sat around and did nothing. There's was, there was nothing in the text about the Sabbath being slothful. As a matter of fact, the Sabbath was to be acts of worship from sunup to sundown. It's when believers got together and they ate together. It was when they sang together. It was when they prayed together. It was when they worshiped together. And it happened all day long. So really, when somebody says, I'm practicing the Sabbath, and they're not worshiping God, you're not really practicing the Sabbath. And the reason that the Israelites did this was because as they were slaves in Egypt, they had no breaks. So the Sabbath, what we see here is, it is fulfilled in Christ, we know that. But what 
I am asking here is, well, believers today under Christ are not bound to keep the Sabbath. What if we did? So next week at sunrise, we're going to gather at church. We're going to stay here together all day long until sundown. Isn't that going to be so fun? We're going to eat together. We're going to pray together. We're going to laugh together. And it's going to, it's going to be a great, great day. And, every, and some of you guys are thinking, I don't know if I could even worship all day long. Well, that's kind of sad. So what believers today aren't under Christ, aren't bound to keep the Sabbath, I constantly ask myself, what if we did? So just think about that this week. By the way, church, normal time, 10, 10, next week, okay? Um, now, you don't have to go there, but Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 is from Jesus, and all of those culminate with the fact that you should love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you love the Lord... You're going to strive to implement those four, technically three, things. And I would say reach for the fourth one. Okay, so that's how you love God, right? So I have no other gods, no idols. Be very careful with the Lord's name and make sure that I'm setting aside times to worship. I would also make a case that you could worship at any time. Then how am I supposed to love people? Oh boy, here we go. Verse 16. The first thing on loving your neighbor, and by the way, who is my neighbor? My neighbor is anyone who has a need in which I am able to meet. Okay? So let's just get that on the surface here. My neighbor is anyone who has a need in which I am able to meet. So all of us have neighbors, and all of us have neighbors who have needs in which we are able to meet. The fifth commandment is to love your father and mother. And some of us say, oh boy, right? This implies obedience and honor and value and respect. And if they did this, there was a promise of long life in Canaan. And that's why it says that you shall enjoy a long life. Now, for those who are younger, this is easy. You follow your mom and dad as they follow the Lord. The only time that you get to disobey your parents is when they go against the Lord. But what about those of us who are older? Honoring our father and mother carries into our later years too as well. You're called and commanded to take care of your parents. Dennis Fisher says, honoring our parents has no age limits. The only time you're allowed to disobey your parents is when they go against God's word. So to honor your father and mother, even though maybe they weren't a good father and mother, you can still honor them. Number six, don't murder. The word murder in the Hebrew means to slay, which is a preservation of society. And what it means is that you, sh you see people in God's image. Do we struggle with this? I kind of struggle with this sometimes, right? I mean, I know I'm made in God's image. I mean, it's, I'll tell you what. But I look at other people and I think to myself, not you. Surely not you, right? And then sometimes God looks at me and he says, no, 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 they're made in my image. You're, you, you are the problem here. When we look at the murder instance, we're not talking about war, we're not talking about civil life, we're talking about in our everyday life. Now let's pause for a second, look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, clearly says, everyone who hates, this is Jesus' word, his brother is a murderer. So while you do not kill people in a physical sense, you've probably murdered a couple people this week. Anybody want to give testimony to that? And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying when you harbor hatred in your heart, you've committed the sin of murder in God's eyes. Just as you can kill people with kindness, you can also kill people with hate. God looks upon our heart for truth. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, speaking about David. The Lord does not see the way that people see. The Lord looks at the heart. So he's constantly evaluating our heart. And he's asking, how do you think about this person? How do you process this person? Understand that that person was made in my image, needs just the same amount of grace that I have given to you. You should give to them. People are put in our life so that we can help them, not hurt them, especially in our thought life. Number seven, don't commit adultery. A protection of the sanctity of the home. The home is the building blocks of society extending to both men and women. Now, so oftentimes we read this passage of scripture and we think it's just about guys. That's not true. It's for women as well. And it's not just in regards to anything sexual. It can go beyond that because Jesus links the command to the heart. He says it's anything that is lustful that leads to an action of desire. So you can lust after, guys, a lawnmower. Ladies, you can lust after clearance sales. You can lust after anything, really. You can lust after having a better church. You can lust after having better friends. You can lust after anything. And when we lust, that is linked to adultery. Israel and the church was to act differently. If we would look at our society today and understand where our society is, one of the biggest distinctions of a believer and a non-believer is sexual purity. Sexual purity is the mark of holiness. So how do I overcome lustful thoughts? Get rid of anything in your life that causes you to sin in this way. Jesus calls this radical amputation. If your left hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Number eight, don't steal. I remember when I preached this passage in Exodus chapter 20, I brought up church pens. I'll bring it up again just for fun. So many of you guys have church pens at your house. You stole them. That's okay. You, we gave them to you. <clears throat> what this is is a respect for people's property. Paul repeats the same thing in Exodus, or Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. And essentially, it's black and white. He just says, don't steal anything. Now, 9 and 10 are really interesting. 9 is don't bear false witness. This is a testimony against an unjustified injury in regards to legal matters at the core. But here's what bearing false witness really means. It's when you destroy somebody else's reputation. In Titus, this talks about this a lot. Titus says that you should speak ill of no one. I think this is, this is my hardest command. Just personally, it is, it is so hard sometimes to not speak down upon people because we as humanity love to compare ourselves to other people. Instead of comparing ourselves to Christ, we constantly compare ourselves to others. And when we compare ourselves to others, we essentially talk bad about them in our minds and we destroy their reputation, not just to ourselves, but we also do this with other people. Believers should never tell any types of lies. We are commanded to be truth tellers. I guarantee you that if you work hard enough, you can find something good about somebody else. Try this just this week. This is your homework. Don't speak bad about anyone that you come in contact with. Speak well about them in your head and with your mouth and see what happens. It's amazing. Your perspective changes on everything. 
Your whole world starts to change. You look at it and you think to yourselves, I, I, I kind of like that person now. Well, I'll be darned. And you got you to worry about that word darn because you're so close to the other side and then we're moving back up, right, to the things. I'm in your boat. This is tough. Number 10, don't covet. A general safeguard against all other sins. Israelites were not to long for or lust after what legitimately belonged to others. And number 10 is bathed in the command to be content in all things. Be content. Make sure that you're content. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10 says, <clears throat> go ahead and throw it up on the screen, Trevor. The true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. We brought nothing with us when we came into this world. We can't take anything with us when we leave this world. So our responsibility as believers is to be content. He goes on and talks about the love of money being the root of all evil. And he says, some people craving money have wandered from true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And while believers today aren't under this law, we're under grace, we submit to all of these Ten Commandments these holy standards, because nine out of 10 of those commands are repeated in the New Testament with added stipulations that are even higher than Deuteronomy 5 or Exodus chapter 20. Now, what do I do with this? Well, the first thing is, if you're here today, you got to look at that and say you've broken every single one of these things on a heart or a thought level. And so you need a savior. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, your first step is to make a move towards Christ by accepting him as Lord and Savior. You trust Christ for your salvation. If for those of us who have trusted Christ for our salvation, the second step is to ask the Holy Spirit to do some sanctifying work in our life. If the Holy Spirit dwells in us when the moment we believe, then we look at this and we say, God, I need some help. Because I constantly am going astray. And so look at the verse 22. Moses gives some real practical obedience. When God gave the Ten Commandments, it was an incredible scene. God spoke, there was fire, a cloud appears. His holiness and power made such an impression on the Israelites, they're terrified. And as we said before, they ask Moses to not have God speak to them directly anymore. They feared that God would kill them. And the Israel's experience at Mount Sinai convinced them of God's glory, but not their own sin. And so that's why, if you bounce over to the book of Hebrews, what we talked about just a little bit ago when we started our service, in chapter 12, verse 18, the author of Hebrews goes back to highlight what has transpired in Deuteronomy chapter 5. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words were made hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Speaking of the Israelites, they could not endure the order that was given. If a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I even myself trembled with fear. But you have come to Mount Zionai and to the city of the living God in the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in the festival gatherings, 
and to the assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and a new promise, to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the word of the blood of Abel. So what's the call and command based off the testaments that were given and the instructions from God? Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape it when we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook from the earth. And now the promise Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. You know what he's saying there? You eliminate that which is worldly and bring in that which is of God's word. Therefore, let us be grateful that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken and commands from God to live a life of worship. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Where did he get that from? Deuteronomy 5. Every command of God is rooted in his love for you, church. It is not a desire for control. It is not because God wants to be mean. Knowing the glory of God revealed at Mount Sinai, the love of God revealed by his longing that it might be well with his people gives you ammunition for obedience to the Lord. When we have trouble obeying God, we either forget his glory or we forget his love for us or we forget both of them. If you're struggling with a sin here today, if you're struggling with one of these things, you're thinking to yourself, I have fallen short of this specific thing. It's because you have either forgotten the glory of God or forgotten the love of God or you've forgotten both of them. And if you live your life with the fact that God is glorious and he loves me unconditionally, you will no longer sin. This is why Jesus says, go and sin no more. Consider what I have done for you. Leave this world and enter and embrace holiness. The only way to be happy is to be holy. And the only way to be holy is to trust Christ. Once for salvation, then again daily, minute by minute, second by second, as we see the day approaching. We're reminded constantly of the fact that we can and will die. And these commands are for our good so that eternity will not be a leap, but it will be a step. That my life will be lived in honor and glory for the Lord, and it will continue for eternity in honor and glory of the Lord. There we see peace and joy and purpose. And notice, Moses repeats this to the next generation. And you should repeat it to the next generation. When you print these out and put them on your bathroom mirror and your kids ask you, why are those on your mirror? You tell them. And you tell them how you're striving to live those truths because of what God has done for us in Christ. It's a reminder of our covenant responsibilities towards the one true God who saved us. It reminds us of our responsibility towards others. This is important for us because when we know who God is and how he saved us, we can't help but love him and love others well. Long after Moses 
Jesus urged his disciples to trust him and to love one another. The command still is in place. And he says, I want you to have a surrendered heart that leads to trust and dependence on the Holy Spirit, who Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, works in us to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Hmm. Maybe, just maybe, God's purposes are not being fulfilled in your life because there's disobedience. And so we repent of that disobedience and come into practical obedience. Walking worshipers. Paul says it in Romans chapter 12, therefore you should present yourselves as living sacrifices, daily dying to yourselves and worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, the passage does a fantastic job of highlighting our sin. And it does a fantastic job of highlighting our need for a Savior. And I'm so grateful and glad that we live on this side of the cross, knowing that the Messiah, Jesus, has come. He has walked on this earth. He has died on that cross, he was buried, and he rose from the grave, and he ascended to the right hand of God, and he is interceding for his people right now on our behalf. And we have become so passive with that truth, and we ask for your forgiveness for that. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, it is as simple as saying, God, I know I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, I ask that you be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Give me salvation. And the assurance that we have in God's word is that he will do those things. And the command for the church is to avoid complacency. For those of us who are here today and have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ... We must do our best to depend upon the Lord. And so, God, that's why we pray to you and we ask you for help in all of these areas. We ask for your help in depending on you, trusting you, whether it's a good season we find ourselves in or a hard season we find ourselves in, being content with whatever situation or circumstance outcome might take place. Knowing that you're working for the good of us, Lord, we understand that. Help us to love you well. Help us to love our neighbor as ourself. Help us to love our neighbor as you as an act of worship. May we be walking worshipers for you, God, in all we think, say, and do. But we know we cannot do that alone. We need your help. So may the Spirit permeate every inch of our being. And we be dependent upon you in all things so that you may be worshipped. In your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.